Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through uh, 12. You can follow along with me in your own Bible, in the Pew Bible. It's also provided for you there in the bulletin. If you'd like to follow along there, you can do so as well. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. My name is Sean Slade. I'm the pastor here. And we're so glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. For instance, you could be catching up on all your rest after having gone to earlier this weekend. Uh, You could be downtown at the uh, Rossini Festival, or you could be over at the Lindsey Nelson Stadium to cheer on the Vols versus the Doors, a big rivalry, but you're not doing any of those things. You're here, and I really do want to thank you for coming this morning. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time than worship Jesus and consider his claims upon your life. Think about the power of his salvation and consider the kindness that he has towards us. And so I do want to thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name to worship him so that we might learn to rest in that love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. And we love to go to baseball games, we love to go to festivals, we love to paddleboard, uh, scuba dive, whatever, but uh, we especially love to gather together and read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind each other of that great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it will spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who we are. People are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during Eastertide, we have entered into this series that we've we've called The Resurrection Life. Uh, And these are reflections on 1 Thessalonians. And I said this last week, but every chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians mentions the resurrection of Jesus. And that seems to imply that the resurrection is a big deal. And it seems to imply that God wants his resurrection to be shaped 
into the lives of his people. And so uh, on Easter, we reflected on the resurrection. Uh, Last week, we reflected on the resurrection work of God. This morning, I want us to consider the resurrection ministry of God. Next week, we'll talk about the resurrection word of God, then the comfort of God, the sanctification of God, the hope of God, and then finally, the resurrection community of God. So with that in mind, let's consider the resurrection ministry of God as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you're a God who's not hidden nor are you silent, but you love to make yourself known. And you love to make yourself known through your word and by your Holy Spirit and ultimately in the person and work of Jesus. And it is our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, that by your spirit you would attend unto us, that we might see lovely things of you in this your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if any of you know this or not, but I went to Clemson University, uh, go Tigers. And uh, it was there at Clemson through the ministry of RUF uh, that I really began thinking about Christianity. And I really began thinking about ministry. And one of the events that really set me off on this journey was a street preacher. Uh, You've probably seen street preachers. Uh, I'm sure especially as the weather gets nicer here in Knoxville, you'll see them down at Market Square. You'll see them if you're a student over off Ped Walkway. And for me, I was coming out of uh, the dining hall, Harcum Dining Hall. And outside of Harcum Dining Hall, there's sort of a little courtyard. And as I was leaving uh, the, the cafeteria that morning, I heard someone just yelling at students as they walked by. And so a guy walked by and there was this man who yelled, you're a drunk and you're going to hell. And then a woman would walk by and he would say horrible things 
about this woman and tell her that she's dressed appropriately for the hell that she's going to. And it was really sad to experience this, to see this happening. And a crowd began to grow around this preacher. And that crowd began to get angry. And they started yelling back at the preacher. And that only got the preacher more fired up. And the crowd began to grow. And as the crowd grew in its anger, so did the preacher. And he became more and more angry. And then the sins that he started leveling against the students only became darker and darker and darker. It was this really awful moment. And then as I stood there, I saw my uh, RUF intern sort of making his way through the crowd up to the front in front of that pastor. And he said to the pastor, Pastor, I'm a Christian too. Do you mind if I speak? I'd like to say some things. And the pastor said, sure, go ahead. And so our intern, Jeff Thompson, he quieted everybody down. He said, "Uh, excuse me, excuse me, I'd like to ask you a question. And so he asked the crowd, he said, uh, how many of you have loved God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? And nobody raised their hand. And then he said, well, how many of you have loved your neighbor as yourself? Or how many of you have loved your neighbor as you know you ought to? And no one raised their hand. And he looked back at the pastor and he said, sir, uh, we all know that we're sinners. We just confessed it. What good word would you have for us? The pastor was dazed by this. And then uh, he got his composure and he yelled, by your own confession, you are all going to hell. And with tears, right, uh, Jeff uh, walked away. The crowd followed after Jeff. Later that day, uh, Jeff and I got together and I asked him a question. I said, you know, what is gospel ministry, (laughs) right? How should we go about this thing that we're doing? Because it's true, right? I mean, we're all sinners. It's true, right, that each and every one of us need a savior, So how is it then that we would go about telling other people about Jesus? How would we communicate this message of God's saving work? How would we communicate it in a manner that would honor the message? And Jeff then took out the Bible and he turned to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. To the passage that we just read. And we then talked about the message and the manner of gospel ministry. Right, the message and the manner of gospel ministry. That's what I want us to think about this morning. Two things, the message and then the manner. We'll begin with the message. We'll then go on to the manner. So we'll conclude with the manner. So let's begin with the message. First, the message. I want you to notice uh, what Paul says in verse 1. He says, For you know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, when I came to you, my ministry, our ministry, it was not in vain. Now, why was that ministry not in vain? Well, this ministry was not in vain, he says, because when he came, he proclaimed the gospel or the good news of God. 
And it was not in vain because when he proclaimed the good news of God, he proclaimed that God had made the world, that God had entered into the world, that God had redeemed the world, that God had died to forgive us for our sins. And he did so in order that God might reveal his love to us. And God then defeated death by rising again from the grave and he will come again uh, to judge the living and the dead. And by doing these things, he then saved his people and is making all things new. That is what he came and proclaimed. And therefore, by proclaiming God, his ministry was not in vain. And so Paul says, my ministry was not in vain because I proclaimed Jesus to you. And it was not in vain because when I proclaimed Jesus, many of you received Jesus. And now there's a church here in Thessalonica. And God is now at work through this church in Thessalonica. As we learn back in chapter 1 verse 8. And, th- and God is now sounding forth, chapter 1 verse 8, in Greek, echoing. The, the people of God in Thessalonica, like a bell that has been rung are now ringing out for the whole world to hear. But why is it then that maybe God, that Paul might have to uh, talk about his ministry not being in vain? Well, it seems as if there were some of the Thessalonians who were suffering, and they were frustrated that Paul wasn't there to suffer with them. And so they were probably saying, look, I mean, Paul in his gospel, they're a joke. Paul is just out for himself. Now, you might remember the founding of the church at Thessalonica. You can read about it in Acts chapter uh, 17, in Acts chapter 17. And in there, what we learn is that Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica, and for three Sabbath days, they, the text says, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And so I want you to think about this. Here's the message that Paul is proclaiming. Paul is proclaiming not himself and not you. Paul is proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Jewish scriptures. And as the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, Jesus is the hope for all the nations. And because God loves the world that he made, it was necessary for Jesus to then die for our sins, to defeat death, in order that he might prove himself to be the Christ, or the Messiah, or the King, or the ruler of heaven and earth, the bestower of all blessing, the one to whom we all owe our life and our allegiance. And so many people heard uh, Paul proclaim this message and they believed. But the text tells us that there were some there who were actually jealous. And they were jealous because they were now losing their standing. And they then formed a mob. And that mob started to shout, these men have turned the world upside down and they have come here also. And they are acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king named Jesus. So this is the message, right? This is the good news that we as Christians believe and we as Christians confess. That Jesus is the king and there is no other. 
And that king, Jesus, is a king who loves us, who died for us, who defeated death for us, who rules over us, and will come back for us. And he will come back to save those who are waiting for him. And therefore, we are a people who live now to serve him. The mob became violent. And as the mob became violent, the Thessalonians, who loved Paul and Silas, they gathered Paul and Silas and they said, we think you ought to leave. It's getting too violent here. And so Paul and Silas, they left, but when they left, the conflict didn't seem to go away. And so what seems to be happening is that some of the Thessalonians are saying, look, when it got hard, Paul left us. He abandoned us because Paul is just out for himself. So Paul responds in verse 1. He says, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, that's Acts 16, as you know, uh, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, uh, like you, uh, we have endured suffering. And we left suffering, we left uh, humiliation, we left being beaten, and we came here to you to proclaim the gospel. And so like you, we've suffered. Like you, we proclaim the gospel of God. Like you, we serve not ourselves, but we serve him. And so he says in verse 3, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God. Now this is a really thick sentence. So if you have your Bible open, look at verse 3. It's a thick sentence. Uh, I want you to notice what he's saying. First he's saying, we preach the gospel... Not to be approved of by God, but because God has already approved us. We, appre- we preach, we serve, we live for God because God has approved of us. And we serve then and we speak because God who has approved us then what? Entrusted us with the gospel. That God in his kindness has given his story to us to share with other people. And so when somebody shares their life with you, it is a privilege. When you work and your boss gives you a promotion or when your boss entrusts you with a new initiative, it is an honor. It is a privilege. And as Christians, we serve Jesus because it is a privilege to do so. And I want you to notice that Paul then goes on to say, so we speak not to please man, but to please God. So if you put this in the context, why would God's people serve and speak of Jesus when their life was at risk? To put it into a modern context, why do Christians around the world who have had their churches bombed, their pastors killed, their homes taken, why would they return to church the next week? Why would they speak of Jesus under the threat of imprisonment or even death? Why would they proclaim Jesus when there are no worldly benefits associated with it? This is the answer. Because it is a privilege to do so. 
You might remember back in Acts chapter 5, after uh, Peter and the apostles were imprisoned and then beaten for proclaiming that Jesus was uh, the resurrected Messiah, the text tells us this. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were rejoicing that they had been identified with Jesus. And not only were they were rejoicing that they had identified with Jesus, they were rejoicing that they got to identify with Jesus even in his suffering. And so here's the deal. We do and we speak of what we love. Right? As Christians, we serve God because we love him. And there is nothing that brings us more pleasure than to please him. Our willingness to serve... Right, uh, even if we get nothing out of it, is evidence that our service to Him is not for ourselves, but it is for the one that we love. And so here's Paul's point gospel ministry, resurrection ministry is not for ourselves, right? It is for God. And therefore, he says, we don't serve, verse 4, to please men. We don't serve for five-star Yelp reviews. Uh, we don't serve for likes on the Tic Tacs or, or on the Vines. Uh, we don't serve to, to be approved of uh, by others. We serve because verse 3, uh, we've been approved of already by God. We serve because we're loved by God. We serve not, verse 5, out of greed. What could you give me? What in this world could you give me? that is more precious than Jesus? What could you give me that Jesus hasn't already promised me? So he says in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So again, here's the deal. We serve God because we love him. And because we love him, we desire to please him. We really want our lives to bring joy to the Father. And so we give ourselves to him because he's already given himself to us. And therefore we speak of him, we follow him, we obey him, we serve him. Because as Sinead O'Connor saying in a very different context, right? Nothing compares to you, right? Nothing compares to you. There is... There is no one or nothing more beautiful than Jesus. There is no one more kind than Jesus. There is no one as good as Jesus. There is no one as powerful as Jesus. There is no one as trustworthy as Jesus. There is no one as generous as Jesus. So what else would we give our lives to? What else would we give our service to him? What else is worthy of your praise and worthy of your life? Why don't you think about it this way? When a man falls in love, he will do anything 
for the woman that he loves. Uh, he will go for a walk uh, by the river, which he'd never done in his life. Uh, he will eat a salad, which he uh, hates. Uh, he will give her all of his money. He will watch Ryan Gosling movies and say, girl, he is so hot. And then uh, he will sit on a hill and he'll watch a sunset, which he never has time to do. And if it is that way of the woman, right, how much more would that be the way with God? That we would delight in that which he delights in. You see, the message of gospel ministry is that God is our loving king. And therefore we serve not ourselves, but the one whom we love. Now, when I think back on this street preacher, uh, the, the first thing that was confusing was his message was us, not God. The second thing that I found confusing was his manner. Because he was so angry. He was so angry. But if we really love God, if we really love God, then our love for him will manifest itself in a love for others. The Apostle John said it this way, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, who lo uh, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And what I want you to see here is that the manner of gospel ministry must always be love. When I was in seminary, one of my theology professors used to always talk about the Jonathan Edwards principle. And the Jonathan Edwards principle was this. You treat people the way you think God treats you. Right? You treat people the way you think God treats you. So if uh, you treat people with constant criticism and anger and disdain and disgust, then that must be how you think God treats you. Right? But if you think that God actually loves you, forgives you, welcomes you, is patient with you, and delights in you, then you will treat others in the very same way. What I want you to see is that the manner of our ministry must reflect uh, the God that we serve. And what I want you to notice about Paul is he then says this. He says, look, we were gentle among you. He says, we were gentle among you. Why was Paul, why were the apostles gentle with the Thessalonians? Because God is gentle with us. Because God is patient with us. After the whale illustration last week that some of you might remember, uh, my wife sent me a video of Mimu the emu. And Mimu the emu uh, lives in Harriman, Tennessee. And last week, Mimu the emu was just chilling in his backyard when a group of lumberjacks showed up to start harvesting the woods that were behind Mimu's house. Big trucks, right? Chainsaws, trees falling, the vibration of the earth shaking and the loud sounds of everything being knocked down. Scared poor Mimu the emu. So Mimu, he couldn't get away from it. He takes a run, he gets back, he gets a running start and he jumps a seven foot fence, right? To escape what he's afraid of. And he is on the run from the police and the police uh, start chasing him and he led the police department of Harriman on a 20 mile chase around the county at f 
speeds of up to 40 miles per hour. There were three police cruisers uh, shepherding this emu uh, back home. And if you watch the video, it's amazing. The, these police cruisers at 40 miles an hour, right? They're shepherding uh, Mimu, the emu, uh, like a border collie, shepherding a lost sheep. Uh, they're not too close, they're not too far. And they led Mimu back home to his owner, Harry McKinney. And when Harry received Mimu back, here was his response. He said, I was just worried about Mimu's feet on the concrete. This is amazing. What a response, right? Uh, I just want you to think about that response. I was worried about his feet on the concrete. This is an animal that had led the police on a 20-mile chase at 40 miles per hour, right? This is a man who loves his emu, uh, wants his emu back home, is concerned about Mimu's well-being. And I just thought, what an amazing, gentle answer. It's a silly picture, right, of the gospel ministry, but it is a picture of gospel ministry. Because all of us are like Mimu, we're all lost, we're all scared, we're all running, and we gently and carefully need to be led back home. And this is what Paul is saying in verse 7. We were gentle among you. Notice the imagery he gives. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. Now, as evangelicals, we love to talk about ministry through masculine military images. But when Paul describes gospel ministry here, he says it is gentle, like a nursing mother. How does a nursing mother care for her children? Well, the child screams, the child cries. The child needs love. The child needs food so that it might live. And so what does the mother do? The mother draws near to the child and literally gives herself to the child. She holds the child close to her. She gently strokes the cheeks of the child whom she loves. She sings lullabies and songs over that child. Right? This is what mothers do. And when a mother does this, she does it freely and joyfully because she loves her child. When a mother changes a child's diaper and then feeds the child, she doesn't give the ticket. She doesn't give the check and say, this is what you owe me and I'd like a tip with it, right? Uh, a mother literally gives herself so that her children might live. And I want you to think about this uh, as a, a child literally grows inside of the mother. And that child takes nutrients from the mother. The child takes energy from the mother, takes life from the mother. The child distends the body of the mother. The mother's body changes. New hormones are made. And her body begins to do things that don't benefit her. They only give life to the child. And then that child would grow up always wondering, does mom love me? Does mom care about me? They rebel against mom and they doubt the mother's love. And yet the mother remains patient and gentle as she gives herself 
Because it says in verse 8, like, because she affectionately desires her child. This is the manner in which we must pursue gospel ministry. With gentleness and patience and longing for those that we love as we give ourselves to those whom God loves. And not just so that they would know that we love them, but so that we might, so that they might more fully understand the love of God. Who we're told in Matthew 23 is like a mother hen who loves to gather her chicks to herself. Or who, like in Isaiah 66, describes himself as a mother comforts her child, so I, God, will comfort you. Or in Isaiah 49, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I, God, will not forget you. You see, gospel ministry is like a mother gently giving life to the children that she loves. Because that's what God does. And I want you to notice that Paul then continues to expand this parental image. And he says, it's not just the mother, but also like a father. See in verse 10. Your witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so what Paul is saying is that the gospel ministry is a ministry uh, that must be lived before those that we serve. Like a father who lives before his children. And he shows his children what is good and what is beautiful and what is true and how to live in this world. And what this is showing us by Paul saying, look at my example. He is saying that ministry isn't merely our words. But it is also our lives. And so Paul says, like a good father, I've lived before you. And I've shown you the way of Jesus so that you might walk in his ways. And that's what fathers do, right? They, they teach us how to live well in the world. And this is why once you get past your sophomore year in college, you begin to realize that your dad might not be the idiot that you always thought he was. Uh, and you maybe start calling him every now and again and asking him for his opinion. And you think about his life when different problems come up. And you think, I wonder what my dad might do, right? And then slowly you begin to live like them and think like them and talk like them and love like them and laugh like them and weep like them and serve like them. This week I was sent a video of uh, someone playing softball. And uh, I was watching this video, and I watched them sort of slowly run around the bases, uh, bent knees, a, a right leg sort of dragging, a uh, slight bend in the back. And I thought, why is my dad out there playing softball? I didn't know my dad played softball. It was me. It was me. It was me. I was like, what is happening here? Uh, and this is, what, this is what Paul's getting at, right? As our fathers live before us, we become more and more like them. And we hopefully become indistinguishable from them. You see, gospel ministry is a ministry that seeks to imitate the life of our heavenly father. And therefore, like good fathers, we must, verse 12, exhort, encourage, and charge one another to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so gospel ministry is a ministry that calls us to be the children of God that we are. 
To be those who live and walk and even suffer in ways that please and bring honor to our Heavenly Father. Right? That's what gospel resurrection ministry is all about. It is about conforming us more and more after the family image. C.S. Lewis has a beautiful little illustration of this in Mere Christianity. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. And God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra floor there. Uh, you're running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. And so what gospel ministry is doing is it is building the household of God. And not just a sweet, nice little cottage, but a palace in which God desires to come and dwell with his children. That's the message of the gospel. And if it is the message, then that must be our manner by which we live. And again, that's the point of this table, because as we come to the table, we see the message laid before us that, that God in his kindness would give himself for us, that he would die for our sins, in order to make us his children. But it also shows us the manner of that message, that it wasn't just words, but that God came and dwelt among us, serving us and dying for us to forgive us and make us his children. And like a nursing mother, what does he do at this table? He feeds us with himself. This is my body, take and eat. This is my blood, take and drink. And then like a good father, he says, this is the way I have loved you. Go and do likewise. So that the world might begin to understand the love of the father through the love of my children. <laughs>